This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave inside the Melbourne Law Studio, protected by crime prevention. 24-7-365 in the piney woods of north central Florida, God's country. That's where we are on a pretty nice day here. Uh, in fact, we've got our yard crew cleaning up outside right now. Uh, it's um, kind of a little bit springy, but it's not uh, going to be springy yet. Don't trust it. Don't for a minute trust it. It'll still be frost once in a while, and, you know, we'll have to deal with it, but that's the way it goes. Uh, now, let me also say to you, um, happy Valentine's Day. Uh, this is a Valentine's Day, and yes, I am a, a sensitive guy. Um, you know, I just uh, I want you to think I'm not, just because, uh, you know, I'm who I am and all that kind of business. Uh, I still care, you know, I really do. So <laughs> there we are. Have some have fun with that as best you can. So uh, uh, Matt Cannon, Brendan Dolwick, Ray Stern, I see y'all. Can you hear Good morning. Looking for myself on my screen. Production promised me I would see myself here, but so far they haven't pushed the right button. So um, I'm watching myself on another computer. The um, I got I got to start. I got to start out with this because it's uh, well, you know, I've always joked around with you that uh, the city of Gainesville fathers and mothers, or whatever you want to call them, uh, commissioners and all the above and whatnot. Um, are the genetic result of the <laughs> UFO that landed in 1947 and dumped out all the material that uh, eventually created our august leaders. And I've always joked that. Well, you know, i got to tell you now, with all this balloon stuff, there's more and more things. Good morning, Jackie. There's more and more stuff coming out. And so I did a little research on this, and um, it's sort of funny. Um, this is in the Daily Mail uh, publication. Um, Americans, and by Americans, I'm sure they mean the Americans who live in the United States of America, because Americans is really all of this hemisphere, uh, north and south. You've got Canada, uh, then you've got Mexico, and you've got South America, but Usually when the um, Americans use the term Americans, thinking only of themselves, they mean United States of America. So when the Daily Mail says the data shows that Americans have reported, I get this, more than 26,000 UF sightings, sightings in the last five years. Um, does that explain the wackadoo culture we've got. I've got to have a little fun with this and just speculate. More than, according to Stacy Libertor for the Daily Mail, who's chronicled all this stuff for us, more than 26,000 unidentified flying objects, UFOs, have been seen soaring through the U.S., and there she does limit it to the U.S., in the past five years. Now, uh, we have a map of the sightings in each state. And <laughs> I suppose it doesn't surprise you uh, that the state with the most sightings, two guesses in the first one, does it count, is uh, California. <laughs> California has more sightings. They have 20 661 sightings in the last five years. But that's followed by Florida and New York. So I got this, I got to speculate that the majority of the sightings in Florida must be in Alachua County. 
given the behavior of the people who <laughs> are in power around here. Um, the government has never addressed and really hasn't mattered up until now much the credibility of these sightings, but now they're actually being asked from the podium, um, hey, come on, you know what these things are. And surprisingly, go figure, they really don't. They know what the balloon was, but they didn't know what the balloon was in the beginning. But the stuff they plugged recently with these expensive missiles, uh, they don't have a clue what it was, according to what I've been finding out during my research. Now, if you know, uh, let us know. I mean, if you know something that the government, government doesn't know. Um, one of the things that the government shot down was described, go figure this, as an unmanned octagonal. Gee, shouldn't they change that? Every time I see this unmanned, don't they mean unpersoned? See, see, it is Valentine's Day. See how sensitive I am? What they mean, really, an unpersoned octagonal structure with, now this is what's curious, potential surveillance capabilities. Huh? So they sent up an F-16. I've heard different versions of the jet, but I guess it was the F-16. And they shot it down around 20,000 feet, this one over the Great Lakes. Well, and you know about the Chinese balloon that was shot down off South Carolina? I guess you do by now. Um, but since 1998, if you want to go back beyond the five years, and you're going to go back to California for the greatest number, there have been 15,457 sightings of UFOs since 1998. Now, personally, I wish the UFOs would take over. Maybe it would unify the country and we, uh, the nation, the world, and we have a common foe. <laughs> I mean, that's one way to look at it. I know. I know it's far-fetched. So the one of the things that they speculate in this data collection about California having the largest number of sightings that could be tied to them also having a large population. Now, uh, December 17th, 2022, there was an actual picture taken by a citizen. Well, we don't know if it was a citizen, by a person of a long, quote, this is the description, a long rectangle light moving very fast and of all places over a town called Half Moon, which is a city located south of San Francisco. I, I, I'm not making it up. I'm not making it up. Stacey Libertor wrote this. Now, sitting on a bench at the Moss Beach Distillery at Half Moon Bay, California. Now, you got to figure if you're sitting at a distillery, that had the libations having to do with it. Around 6.50 p.m., uh, they noticed this rectangular shape, a male and a female, a girlfriend. I assume there was a boy there. And uh, they didn't think much about it until they looked at the picture they had taken afterwards. And it appeared to be a round light divided into eight pieces of pie. Oh, you know, the description, I guess, varies. Uh, there was another sighting on November 30th, uh, very similar with lights on the object with an aura or a haze around the object, and the object admitted other objects. Uh, they reported this to the authorities of the uh, military, and that's the last they heard of it. Now, Florida ranks second. Of course, we're a long state, and... Um, uh, we got water all around us, so I don't know if that makes any difference. But on December 19th, a resident of Orlando saw five 
gold-colored orbs in the night sky. And what they do, they turn white, and then they came together to form this cylindrical shape now that has been described independent of each other over California and over Florida. And to my awareness, uh, I don't know that the recent sightings have described been described as cylindrical shapes. So the photographer enlarged one of the photos and saw a cylinder-shaped object in the white lights. Now, a plantation mark, if he's on here, I know he's got experience with military uh, experience. Maybe he can chat with us about this. Um, the uh, Then the lights were repeated about 30 minutes later with three more lights in the same area. Um, and they flew over Orlando and then headed off at this incredible speed, one to the north and one to the south. Washington State has had a total of 6,932 sightings since 1998 and 1,297 in the last five years. Now, they claim somebody that one was captured on June 24, 2022 over Lake Forest Park. So, a couple of guys were playing pickleball and walking home, and they saw orbs above the lake. And uh, they, I guess, captured the vision. I doubt they captured the orbs. So it's a little vague here as to what became of the captured phenomenon. Uh, it is more than passing curious, is it not? that uh, now it has risen to the place where Uncle Joe will not even comment on it. Um, he was reluctant to get involved uh, enough with the balloon. And then finally they shot the balloon down and they're finding out the balloon had all sorts of surveillance stuff. But, um, and it was owned by China. But, um, uh, there are so many other sightings that uh, people really aren't sure what to make of it. Now, let me hearken to my own experience. Um, the um, One time, and this is in the mid-70s, maybe, I don't think you can hear that. The guys from the, <laughs> from the, yard worker out here with a blower right outside the uh, studio. So I don't think you can hear it. Um, so here we have my own personal experience with this. I guess it was in the early 70s, maybe. Yeah, I guess early 70s. I was working out in the gym with a guy whom I consider to be a pretty dark, you know, sensible person, very soft-spoken, quiet guy. And he was from... High Springs, right up the road from us. Let me uh, see if I can talk over the sound of the blower here outside. Oh, he was from High Springs, right up the road from us. And he said one night he was lying in his bed, getting ready to doze off. And he saw an object. Um land in his yard. Might be able to hear that. Uh, I think they'll be moving out here in a minute. He saw an object land in his yard. And then the object took off. But the object had dropped something out of the ship. That's what it was. And he said he went out and got that material and turned it over to the authorities. And this guy was kind of shaken by this. He he had uh, seen something he couldn't explain. He was not given to hysteria. In fact, one of the reasons uh, um, 
Plantation Mike says we got a good mic. He can barely hear it. Good, good. Uh, oh, it's Mike. Mike Lucas saying that. Michael Lucas saying that. Good. Got a good mic. Um, and they're gone now, you guys. Thank you. I could hear it, nevertheless. But my buddy said it shook him. He swears he saw the object. He swears he saw the material drop out. He went and got the material, gave it to us. Nobody ever got back to him. I've always remembered that. I thought I looked at him kind of askance. And I thought, come on, you cannot be serious. You saw the landing of a UFO? Now, I don't know. But listen, stories like this are all over the place. Once upon a time, I think when I was a kid in the 50s, uh, they, Hollywood began actually making uh, these UFO movies pretty seriously. And some of them have become, you know, rather well known and uh, eerie, if you will. But I don't know what to tell you except that the United States government is now chasing these things and shooting them down. So uh, there you are. I wanted to kind of start off with that just for a light moment. What is an unidentified flying object? And who owns it? Where does it come from? And what is it doing here? And wouldn't it be nice, I guess, if it shows out that we're not all alone in the universe? I mean, maybe that would give us some uh, uh, planetary unity that we don't have right now. It's all just uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if you can describe it as fun because the government is taking it pretty seriously. Um, I want to get into the title of the show today, Urban or Rural, and I want to explain to you uh, why that's important. Um, there is, as you know, and we've covered it locally, but anything that's going on locally, and this ties into my UFO story because I've always thought that probably the only way to explain the behavior of the city of Gainesville commissioners is that they are descendants of a UFO landing. Um, anything that Gainesville is doing, and by the way, right now, the most controversial thing is giving the Charter Officer of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion over $200,000 a year salary. Huh? So you have to scratch your head. First of all, what are you even doing with a Charter Officer with that job description? And secondly, have you lost your mind? You've got a city that is losing its credit rating. Many observers of the city behavior have speculated it will take a bankruptcy of the city before the city will come to its senses. So there you are. I mean, and I, I can tell you that, um, for example, just a few days ago, there was a little girl lost in no one could find her. The city of Gainesville, my understanding, has done away with its helicopter because it's too militarizing, too much of a militarization of the police force. ASO has not done away with its helicopter and furthermore purchased a camera to go on that helicopter and that it wasn't cheap what I have been told is about $300,000. But that camera on a helicopter can see a flea on the back of a hog in the woods, if you will. And this little girl was lost. How was she found? She was found with the helicopter and that camera. That camera picked up her body heat, saw where she was. They might never have found her. She might never have survived. Things like this, the city of Gainesville, in its infinite wisdom, have demilitarized, if you will, their law enforcement agencies. So you have to wonder, what are they eating, the joke is, or what are they smoking? But I can guarantee you that they are following what the Uncle Joe administration is also doing, 
in the name of equity. Are you ready? In the name of equity. Now, equity is all through, we've been talking about it, the colleges and the universities and the, you know, it, the schools. Uh, in, North, in, uh, in North Carolina, none of the kids in the system there can pass the math in the entire state, as I've been told, or as I think I've read and can't find the article right now. So I apologize if I'm just slightly off, but I'm pretty sure that's the gist. Equity is the word, and let's just focus for a moment on the local zoning laws. And the local zoning laws are going to allow the building of high-rise apartment buildings with quote-unquote affordable units and they can go into the tree-line single-family neighborhoods. Now, if you want to see where this has been tried but called something else, go to Chicago and look at the projects. The projects. The projects crammed into high-rises, low-income people, and guess what happened? Crime, crime, crime. And you see now what has become to those areas of Chicago, where years ago this idea was tried under a different name. This is all in the name now of equity, meaning everyone can live in a what has been a tranquil suburb, whether they've earned the money to pay for it or not. So the Biden administration announced on January 19th that it will require, are you ready for this? This is according to uh, uh, the research that uh, you might also find. This is John Nolte uh, on the right bar, out on Twitter also. Uh, will require all towns across the U.S., to submit equity plans, showing how they will make it possible for low-income people to live and provide affordable housing, transportation, and other resources. Hence cometh the $200,000-plus charter officer position that the Gainesville City Commission has created that only the communist commissioner, oddly enough, and Ed Book, the former GPD officer, voted against. So now towns that don't meet this equity plan, which is a requirement for economic diversity, they're going to lose federal funding. Well, in the sad financial shape that the city of Gainesville is in, the last thing they can do is lose federal funding, especially when they're increasing their own wages, salaries, uh, by, I, I've lost track, 50% or so. So what this has done is this has created an attack on the suburbs. And the suburbs, if you take a look at them, vote primarily Republican. So in the mind of the Biden left, and by the way, if you think Bernie Sanders is gone, Biden has adopted all of Bernie Sanders' programs. Um, Practically, I'll qualify that. In the minds of the equity, uh, diversity, and inclusion people, the suburbs, which are primarily voting Republican, are hotbeds of racism, sexual dysfunction, hatred, you name it. The only thing that you won't find named in that list 
is crime. So the suburbs are under attack. And if the Democrats can strip the suburbs of what makes them special, and you know that the zoning law here about inclusion has been one of the most hotly responded to zoning applicants or changes that you can remember in the city of Gainesville. If you can strip the suburbs through this zoning of laws that protect home ownership property values that avoid density, then that will be, of course, a serious attack on the suburbs and also a serious attack on a location of Republican voters. Now, the Democrats conveniently seem to ignore or don't have an explanation for at any rate of the concurrent crime in the failed cities where we had this experiment long ago. These were called projects. Here locally, I think they were called Kennedy Homes, which eventually had to be raised. And when it came time to put another, if you recall this, project similar to that in East Gainesville, the East Gainesville Blacks themselves objected to it because they're homeowners. Furthermore, if you stack these places with renters and then on top of that, make a good number of them Section 8 or government-subsidized renters, studies show that nothing will destroy a community faster than that. And you have places right now, we can do a crime location map right now, and you will see that it correlates very, very nearly in many, many instances with where these subsidized homes have been placed. It is um, an interesting phenomenon that is going on throughout the nation. And it is one of the things that people can go to their city hall and protest pretty strenuously. And many have here. They've confronted the descendants of the UFO landings because they're about to lose the property value of their home. And for many people, home ownership is their strongest financial asset. And it is the bedrock of community and neighborhood and stability of conservative values. Homeowners pay their bills. Homeowners get insurance homeowners, etc. When I get back from the break at the bottom of the hour, I will tell you a little bit more about or share with you a little bit more on this Valentine's Day. Some other things I have learned about, guess what? The relationship of this phenomenon to the electric car. Be right back on the Words God Files in just a moment. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, 
and style cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Welcome back to Ward Scott Files here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave here in the piney woods of North Central Florida. Mellon Law Studio, protected by crime prevention on the spot cleaners, one of our great sponsors. Uh, you've got, of course, uh, um, style cuts. You've got R&R construction, shoot GTR. Check everybody out. We just did that. Um, a little nippy this morning. We're in the 40s um, this morning. It kind of went down quickly over the night. I've been watching the cattle. They are beginning to eat some green shoots on the ground. And uh, also, though, we're still supplementing that with hay. So we're going to get up maybe to the 70 range. But once again, there's going to be damaging winds and some tornadoes possibly across the middle of the country, maybe across the panhandle part of this uh, state. Uh, It's an intensifying storm system. It's going to produce strong, severe thunderstorms and uh, uh, go through the South and Ohio Valley. It's uh, areas of concern or Eastern Texas, uh, um, Dallas, that area, Little Rock, Little Rock, Oklahoma, and that area, Arkansas. They're always catching it. I used to live in Arkansas, and that is just known uh, as Tornado Alley, if you ever wondered. On the northern Gulf Coast, uh, uh, we may have some problems, uh, and it'll go all the way into Tennessee and Ohio Valley. Strong storms and some threats of uh, damaging winds. So govern yourself accordingly. Thank you to Lewis Oil for sponsoring us for the weather. Well, um, we're talking here about connecting the dots, really. You need to kind of be aware of how zoning and affordable housing and pandering to uh, certain Voting blocks um, can be used. In this case, we're looking at the possibility of destroying neighborhoods. And that, of course, also means destroying neighborhood schools. You see a lot of things that are focused in that uh, area, and that's school boards. Um, it can even have an interesting kind of wrinkle to it. I like this one in the New York Times by Jonathan Weissman. Uh, in Chicago, which we talked about as being a early example of this experiment, if you will, by the government of providing high-rise projects for people who really didn't have the ability to buy a home for whatever reason, and how that concurrently became a place of crime, uh, there was a, a gentleman named Christopher Ellington, who had a photography studio on the south side of Chicago. And um, uh, he was um, um, leaving work from his studio one day when gunshots rang out and two bullets from a drive-by shooter pierced his head and left him permanently blind. Permanently blind. Now, Of course, he was out of work. 
The creditors were closing in, the rents were piling up. And along came a first of a year's worth of monthly $500 checks with no strings attached, almost no questions asked from Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Now, Chicago come to find out and the surrounding suburbs of Cook County. And we've just been talking about the changing demographics of a so-called suburb are conducting an experiment. They are not giving food to the needy, housing or childcare. They're just giving cash. And there's $31.5 billion from something called the Resilient Communities Pilot that is really a result of the pandemic money that was given out through the American Rescue Plan. Chicago has pulled this money out and is giving $500 checks under a $42 million county pilot to 3,250 residents who live in a concentrated area in the Chicago suburbs. So they're tapping money sent to local governments through the 2021 pandemic relief law, which we said is known as the American Rescue Plan. Now, the Democrats are very comfortable with this concept of big government stepping in on private needs. And they are taking this opportunity to, of course, blame the Republicans for their discreditation of welfare handouts or fostering dependency on government. I've almost come to believe, I think I do believe it, that dependency on government, that's code word for dependency on Democrats. And Democrats know this. They know that by putting these programs in place, they are creating voters. And they can use it racism, um, white supremacy, all these things as cover terms to justify what they're doing. So this has created a greater divide, according to the New York Times, between Democrats and Republicans, urban voters, and rural conservatives. I'm going to get into an analysis of what is rural and urban in a moment. And you know it from looking around your communities. Um, the political leaders, like Lightfoot, who are facing re-election especially, are making an issue of some forms of, there are various forms of it, this is the one we're focusing on, guaranteed income. In California, where there was never any slavery, it's called reparations. And the numbers they're throwing around, I used to have the article, I think it's back in the Midnight Auto Yard somewhere, are astronomical. I think I covered it once on the show already. Now, how they are finding all these places where this money is needed is through the University of Chicago researchers. You know, the University of Chicago must be a piece of work. Uh, that's where uh, um, Obama hung out with the guy who uh, was a member of the Weatherman, who became a professor at University of Chicago, if I remember it right. Uh, I've forgotten the guy's name now, but, you know, he's well known. Uh, the University of Chicago is using researchers and surveys to find where uh, uh, these economic needs are. And the county is even, this is really interesting. The county is going to supplement this money 
It's Cook County. With the proceeds, funds from newly legalized cannabis sales. Now, I, I just throw this out there for you. Legalized pot, Democrats push it, then get the money and fund the poor. Democrats push it, destroy the neighborhoods through zoning changes. Democrats push it. Okay. Now, this is antithetical to what those who identify as Republicans believe. Uh, They don't believe in programs that destroy the work incentive or the work ethic. They believe in uh, meritocracy, teaching people how to be excellent and then go out and, you know, create their own um, lifestyle, buy their own home. So this is a uh, interesting phenomenon that's going on in this country and in this city up the road from the Warthog Command Center here, down the road, if you will, uh, from um, the uh, Warthog Command Center here. Now, Josh Zumbrum for the Wall Street Journal tried to define urban and rural recently and found out that the definition is becoming fuzzy. Now, I'm looking around my own territory here, and rural land is being gobbled up by urban growth, particularly to the western side of this county. Um, That is a created, of course, transportation needs, automobile travel, uh, etc. And that's where all the available rural land has been. I'll just give you an example. A very, very good friend of mine who was a huge cattle farmer here and his father was a cattle farmer. Hey, got an offer he couldn't refuse. Sold and now it is becoming a gigantic kind of upscale housing community, home ownership. Not cattle. No cattle. Rural land, now urban land. Now, to what extent is there a divide politically in the urban and rural worlds? And how do you decide what is rural? I was on the Census Bureau at one time here in Alachua County, and I deliberately picked signing up rural voters. And let me tell you the disadvantage I was at. It was very easy for someone signing up city voters or even urban voters because you could find them. They were concentrated. You could do it by just knocking on doors or driving through neighborhoods. But let me go find the rural voters I had to drive down roads that weren't paved, back into woods, into maybe a a trailer, if you want to call it a mobile home, sitting back in the woods somewhere, and ask them if they were voters. Hey, it was a long, hard effort. And Josh Zumbrum has taken this into account in his analysis. The U.S. Census Bureau has a difficult time classifying and finding rural voters, which has real-world consequences because on the basis of the classifications, there exist many federal and state programs that are based on whether an area is defined as rural or urban. So the rural people are fewer and fewer government people because they don't have the concentration to get elected. 
Take a look at the city of Gainesville. It is all not only city people, but to a large extent, it's always been university people. Once upon a time, when it had five commissioners, it was business people. But that's long gone. It's now ideologue, some form of an ideologue. Some academic. There are no rural people. There are no business people on the city commission of Gainesville. The county commission doesn't have any rural people. There hasn't been a rural commissioner, quote unquote, which is generally Republican because of we've been talking about they have more identification with private property values. Therefore, tend to be more conservative. There hasn't been since uh, Commissioner Summer from High Springs. They just, they just don't exist. The Alachua County Commission is all Democrat. We only broke it one time, briefly, with Sue Bear. So, the Bureau's collection of population that end up labeling something urban or rural is becoming more urban. And these urban areas are becoming enormous. 19 million in New York, 12 million in and around Los Angeles. And those urban areas are going to be impacted by Guess what? Zoning changes that put affordable housing in them. And this also affects health care, broad brand development. Rural kids don't have access to computers the way city kids do. One thing. So the Census Bureau's classification is very, very much skewed towards an increasing concentration of people in areas that are more and more impacted by officials who cater to their interests and come from their base. Now, one of the interesting studies of this is how the climate crusaders fit into this. And the way I'm putting this together for you, uh, I think only a professor could do because I'm putting together all these disparate parts into one coherent narrative and then sharing it with you and you can make your own judgment about it. But the climate crusaders, how do they fit into all this concentration of people in places that car dependency is less and less a factor? You see what is happening? Government policies, because of this concentration of people in small areas, are going to promote walking, cycling, mass transit, financial subsidies for electric cars, ultimately even reducing the dependency on cars, whether they're electric or not, because the 
mining required to make electric vehicles is going to increase CO2 emissions. It's going to make us dependent on places where these minerals exist. And that is going to be prohibitively expensive. So how will this be compensated for? According to Alicia Finley, it will be densifying what right now are the low-density suburbs and increasing by zoning high-density urban spaces and promoting bicycling and walking and mass transit and de-emphasizing roads. Eliminating cars will be the ultimate goal, not only the gasoline-powered ones. Uh, this is already taking place. Once again, if you want to see where the canary in the mine shaft is, it generally is California. So what's the end result of this? A reduction, and I'll tell you this for the young people, the young people will discover this if they haven't already, a reduction in living standards. Young people will pay more money for less square footage than ever before in the history of the nation. That's just the way it's going to be. Young people will find themselves by necessity because of the de-emphasis of automobiles living in more and more city-fied environments. Now, the developers have tried to make this more humane, if you'll notice, by making walkable communities inside of those cities. And they'll concentrate shopping and they'll concentrate uh, dining and they'll concentrate entertainment and try to make it a kind of a self-contained area, insulated from the general city. They can, they can sustain that to the extent that zoning doesn't fracture it. And if zoning fractures it, uh, then you have got a problem, right? It is a problem. Education, how will it be affected? Well, public school system really is just that, the public school system. And when you take meritocracy out of the public school system and replace it with equity, you really change dramatically the value of a public education. And this is happening. As you know, one of the local battlegrounds for, has been, of course, an increasing emphasis on school boards and the public school system. And those who are attacking DeSantis are attacking him because he's come in and interfered in their minds with freedom of choice in the public school system. But the defenders of DeSantis counter that there really hasn't been any freedom of choice. You've pushed this woke curriculum and we can't get away from it. We want to get away from it. And of course, in this pushback, there will be understandably, some confusion. 
books we, we call into question, some of which have many good pieces in them, but some of which don't. I saw a book the other day, what was given to me by a teacher, that supposedly she's disallowed, can't use now. It's a rhyming book. And it had a sentence in the rhyming book that could be misunderstood as a sexual sentence. The sentence was about the child being on top of the father. It was a rhyming word. I've forgotten how it rhymed now. And the interesting thing is the child is on the lap of a father many, many times, hopefully. But the way the sentence was written, the adult who heard the sentence heard it differently. It's my understanding that book's been banned. And I thought that was most interesting. The child would never have inferred that from the sentence. The adult did. So it always takes me back to my classic example that I always use, which is in the end of Hamlet, Act 5, when the king is dead, the queen is dead, the prince is dead, and Horatio is holding in his arms the dead prince, Hamlet, and Fortinbras comes in to pay his respect for being allowed to cross the territory integrity of Denmark. And everybody is dead to whom he would have given his thanks. And he's shocked at what he sees. And so he says to Horatio, where is this sight? And what he means, where is this sight? What is going on here? And Horatio, who's the smartest person in the play, smarter than Hamlet, says, what is it you would see? And Fortinbras answers, this site becomes the battlefield. And what he means by that is this violence, domestic violence, is worse than what I see on a battlefield. But the interesting thing is that the military prince, Orthobras, answers Horatio through the value system that he lives by. He's a military man. He takes a look at every single experience through the eyes of a military man. A coach doesn't see a talent walking across the playground the way you do, perhaps, if you're not a coach. Nick Molitary, who ran the most successful tennis academy in the state, maybe in the world at the time, was asked how he knew a particular player who had been brought to him as a six-year-old girl for him to evaluate as a potential superstar, six or so. She was, let me six, seven, eight years old, something like that. It was Maria Sharapova. He was asked years later when Maria Sharapova had become number one in the world. He was asked, how did you know she had it? And he replied, I like the way she walked. Have a great Valentine's Day. Warthog Command Center out.